if you're not considering the full view of how customers are using the physical pieces of your experience and the online pieces in concert, I don't know how you could be successful. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce. I'm Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And on today's episode, I found out how Crate & Barrel has evolved its digital strategy over 15 plus years. And to discuss it all, we had Joan King join the show, who's the Senior Vice President of E-Commerce and International at Crate & Barrel. She's been a part of the entire transformation, and she told me all about where the company has been, where it's going, and why the foundation is key. Let's get into it. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities? or little discussed financial trends, or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness. Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who wanna break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Joan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome, welcome. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Crate and Barrel. When I just got a house here in Austin, that was the first place I went to be able to figure out what style I wanted. So when I saw you coming up on the list, of guests, I was like, okay, we're going to have a lot to talk about here. So you have been at Crate and Barrel for 20 years, right? Or a little over 20 years? Yep, it'll be 21 years this spring. Okay. So you've seen everything, I'm sure. I want to actually go back to your first role entering Crate and Barrel. What did it look like so we can all have a picture of where you started out? Yeah. So 20 years ago, I looked a lot different, a lot fewer gray hairs um, and no, no kids. Now I have teens. Um, but from a business perspective, we were just starting to bring e-commerce in-house and to build our e-com team. Uh, if you think back, the the kind of dot-com boom and bust had just occurred. So the boom was all the retailers and companies starting were using agencies to build that first generation of e-com sites. And then, you know, as retailers recognized they needed to start building that function in-house that kind of was contributing to the dot-com bust as everyone brought that in-house and built up those capabilities. So so my first role, I came in as an information architect. Uh, we were just starting to build the team and that role was the one thinking about how do we lay out the site experience so that we can enable customers to navigate the site and buy things easily. Okay. And your team was a couple people, three people? I think at that time, I was probably the third person um, dedicated to e-commerce at the time. Wow. Did you know that you were going to stay at Crate and Barrel for 20 years? Like when you started out where you're like, this is the company for me, this is where I want to stay, or did that just happen? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, back then, uh, I hadn't spent more than probably three to four years at any one place. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that anyone thinks that going in, I, although I always admired Crate and Barrel. Um, kind of when that when that opportunity came up that 20 years ago, it was something that I immediately jumped on and was so excited to be able to apply 
to Crate and Barrel. It's a great Chicago company. I had grown up in Chicago um, and it was something that I'd always wanted. I'd said, oh, this is a retailer that I could really love working for. And I find that as we interview people today throughout the years, um, I don't know that I've ever told anybody where I work and not heard back. Oh my God, I love Crate and Barrel. Yeah. Um, so it's a really nice um, brand to work for and we're able to attract talent in a way that, you know, they can be proud of the company that they're working for because we help um, bring beauty into people's homes. Yeah. I mean, keeping such a high performer for that long is very impressive and to me, a testament to the company. What do you think it was that Crate and Barrel did to keep you engaged and keep you there? Because I'm sure, you know, many companies now struggling with hiring. It doesn't seem like people are very, you know, staying as long at companies, not as loyal. And so what does Crate and Barrel do to, you know, what did they do with you to keep you so engaged over the years and excited about, you know, the company for the long haul? Um, I think it's really about the people that the brand has attracted. So I don't know if that's the brand or if it's the people or if it's both, um, but it's definitely um, this infinite um, loop uh, that the brand being such a beloved brand helps us to attract and retain, a, you know, great people. And so that you are always working alongside people who are passionate about the brand, are passionate about being able to uh, kind of improve how people decorate their homes and celebrate big life events. And that creates a culture of excellence. So, you know, everyone comes to the table wanting to not let the brand down. Um, and so that, that's been a key thing in what's kept me here. Um, and, you know, being able to continue to grow the e-com business, being in a growth part of the business has definitely kept me here. Every single year there's been growth and new challenges to figure out and doing that through the last couple of years in particular, you know, living through the pandemic, our category is one that folks were really eager to outfit their homes. And so we just continued to grow, not just our category, but the online business in particular, as everyone kind of got over that final hurdle of being willing to buy, to buy anything and everything uh, through, through the web. What were some of the surprising shifts that maybe happened throughout your time at Crate and Barrel or maybe in the more recent months? I mean, maybe that's been the most surprising customer behavior shifts, but what have you seen that, you know, were something that you weren't really expecting? If I think about kind of the long view of how, what things have changed over the past 20 years in e-commerce and customer behavior and buying uh, furniture and home goods, we used to, the first 10 years that we had a website, we didn't even sell furniture on the website. Um, you had to go to the store to purchase it. And it was, you know, it was something that we debated and even put things in place that we thought were, or, you know, at the time, maybe they were, were protections for customers so that they didn't make um, bad choices about what they were buying. And so you had to go to the store to get a swatch. You had to talk to a human being before you could do certain things with your orders. Um, and now when I think about that concept, um, we've completely reversed um, that, you know, especially after the last couple of years, customers have an expectation that they can do everything that they need to do that they feel is, you know, not something they want to talk about. You know, they want to approve things. They want to check on their order. They want to book their delivery. They want to do everything you know, from their phone in about three seconds. And so we've spent a lot of time removing any and all constraints that we had put on operationally 
um, in the name of let customers do things exactly the way they want to do them and make sure that when they do talk to a human being, that is really elevated and, you know, they want to get advice. They want to get, you know, a reinforcement of like, is this actually going to look good together? You know, those are the things that we want to make sure our associates have time to really, you know, dig in and do a great job with those services. And all of the other transactional or mundane things are things that customers want to do themselves. And so we had to really invest in making sure that our sites supported that and let customers do everything they want to do themselves right from their phone as quickly and as painlessly as possible. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense for the world we're in today. But yeah, even thinking back to going to different stores like a JCPenney's and going with my parents and then being like, yeah, you go in there and you have to talk to someone and then you call this other person. It, it was such a process. But back then it felt very normal to be like, oh, yeah, we don't actually walk away with anything today. You can't really buy it here. It's just a multi-step process. But when it comes to today, what kind of um, friction points or constraints do you think maybe a lot of companies are missing when it comes to the customer journey that are just still accepted? Like, are there companies or processes that you look at right now where you're like, oh, there's still quite a bit of friction in this customer journey that a lot of companies are kind of missing? I think it's still um, particularly for considered purchases like furniture or anything that um, is a bigger ticket item. There is a need for the channels to be completely seamless and making sure that um, every decision that the company makes considers that and make sure that they remove any any hint of operational barriers. I'm surprised that there's still conversations in retailers talking about separating e-commerce from store business. So I was actually just reading about this with, I won't name the brands, but I did see, I mean, I was thinking this has to be due to like, you know, the stock market and they're trying to have, you know, different metrics depending on what they're at. But I see these, I, I would say more um, like definitely older brands mm-hmm. trying to separate their e-com business from their retail. And I don't really understand what's happening. So maybe you can tell me one, why do you think that's not a good idea? And also, why do you think they're doing that? I think it's a very financially driven analysis that is not considering customer behavior. It seems, um, yeah, I don't understand it either. Okay. I'm shocked when I hear it, honestly, that, that that conversation is still going on like in this day and age. Yeah. But I think it comes down to, it's a very, um, financially driven view that, um, that is being a little bit, um, dismissive of how customers shop and how customers view brands that they're dealing with and the need for customers that, you know, there are, Absolutely. There's a need for physical retail, especially for certain categories, and that it has to be looked at as, uh, you know, the full experience customers buy from a brand. They don't buy from a channel, they buy from a brand. So that's something that if you're not considering the full view of how customers are using the physical pieces of your experience and the online pieces to, you know, in concert, I don't know how you could be successful. Yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I would love to hear, you know, we're talking about retail and, you know, why brands should be thinking about that in like a holistic view. And I want to hear, you know, how you guys are thinking about retail versus e-commerce and how to actually make this a seamless experience for the customer. And how are you thinking about those investments? For instance, we had, we had Walmart come on the show and they were talking about how much they're investing in retail. And that's something that they think a lot of brands are missing out on, or we just had actually a startup saying like, they think retail is where it's at and that you're missing a lot if you don't have that experience. And then you hear the other side where people are like, you don't need retail. 
we're pulling out completely of retail and we're just focusing on e-commerce only. So it'd be cool to hear the strategy behind, you know, how are you viewing this new world? Are people going to be, you know, shopping more in person again? Or like what's Crate and Barrel's view on what the future looks like around retail versus e-com? It's interesting to think about how, how we, what, what's the next frontier in retail and how are these channels going to continue to evolve um, so that customers are getting what they need at every point of the journey. And, you know, for us, what we've been focused on is we had a lot of work to do in that post-transaction journey and what customers are able to do in terms of servicing their own orders or getting answers to questions that they want. So I think that that's something that retailers need to make sure is um, exactly what customers are looking for. But beyond that, kind of the next the next frontier uh, is in truly integrating the experience as customers are going back and forth from online to in-store. How can we better digitize the store experience and how can we bring the knowledge and expertise of our store associates onto the web in a more seamless and natural way? So I think um, what everyone's trying to, to crack right now is... How do we make sure that customers um, are are getting the service online that they would get when they're in store in a more seamless way? Yeah. Are there any projects or any big bets you're taking around trying to figure that piece out? Even if you're like, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but we're at least experimenting with this, this, and this. In our business, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how can we help customers visualize products in their home? Um, that's something that it's very hard uh, and it's a big purchase and we want to make sure that customers are able to um, feel confident that this is going to look good in, in their room. And so there is a lot of technology out there that um, should be further along. It feels like yeah. you know, augmented reality and there's been visualization tools um, you know, that have for years and it's a combination of customers not being fully comfortable or expecting them um, that they're there to use and they're not seamlessly integrated yet. Um, those two things are are making it so that, you know, there isn't as much adoption of visualization tools and augmented reality as I think you'd expect there would be at this moment. It's been out for so long. Right. It's been around forever. Yeah. But at the same time, um, we're not totally there yet because it's just a little too hard uh, to see the things that you want to see in in your space. So, um, so that's been a focus of ours. Like, how can we actually just make that easier for customers yep. to see in their room? How's this going to come together? that will help them feel confident in making their choices and then they'll be happier. They won't return uh, something because it doesn't actually look the way they expected. Um, and, and putting those tools in the hands of our associates so that, um, you know, I think that that's been uh, why some of these things haven't been adopted as much as you'd like, because when those big discovery moments are happening, they're usually in the store talking to associates And, you know, so we need to make sure that we're not kind of just putting these things on the website and hoping that customers find them and use them all by themselves. We want them to be kind of using them while they're talking to associates and have associates helping them understand like, okay, well, when you get home, um, you can very easily take a look and see how this looks or bring your pictures into the store and we'll, we'll work through this together. So that's something that we've been thinking about. How do we just make that design 
process easier uh, for customers and really take advantage of the tools that are right at our fingertips, uh, but yeah. they're just not integrated as seamlessly as uh, as I think they need to be. Yeah, I sometimes wonder for like augmented reality reality adoption, if too many people got burned in the beginning where it's like they tried out the technology and it's just like, I mean, I remember back when I was working at Google, we were trying like these different apps we were building. And I, I, mean, I remember being like, oh my gosh, like, no. And then I didn't come back to it until like recently. And I wonder is like, is there a period where you basically burn out the beta testers, the people who are really excited to try something and then they just kind of write it off for a few years and be like, I'll revisit. And now to me, it's the time to show people like, well, here's, let's re-educate you. Like it, it's advanced a bit from probably when you tried it out three years ago, at least. And it always seems very interesting to me about that time period of, yeah, early users, I guess. Right. Yeah, we've tried, we've definitely tried things too early. Uh, we call that bleeding edge instead of cutting edge, uh, where, you know, if, if the technology is not there yet, or if the customer is not ready uh, yet, and sometimes that's you know that's both sides of the same of the same coin. But it's it's evolving really quickly. I think um, as phones phones and all the advancements that are happening uh, are are really pushing that further. So I think that's something that uh, we'll start to see greater adoption a lot quick a lot more quickly. Yeah, I agree. I just had on a guest yesterday from this company, um, Zero Light. And they essentially make, um, they're taking like video game principles and applying it to commerce. And they're starting out in the auto industry, but it was very interesting where he's like, you know, what you would expect from a video game is this high fidelity and like all the shadows are working. And, you know, if you put something in the screen, it has to be like actually on the floor, not like floating in space. And it's very interesting talking to him and being like, oh man, more of these game design principles need to be applied into commerce because yeah, you already have the technology. It's just in a different industry and how to think about like, how can you pull that in? Because the expectations that are over there are probably the same when it comes to shopping. If you're putting a couch in your room, you don't want it to be hovering. You want it to be actually there and you want to be able to see the texture of it and the fabric. And which is a very cool thought process yesterday that kind of ties into this too. That's a hundred percent true. I think we use that example a lot that it, it shouldn't be that, that I, I can track the making and delivery of my pizza um, so much, you know, with so much more easily than my sofa, right? So that's definitely something where the expectations of customers are going to, you know, cross category lines. Mm -hmm. So when there's innovation happening in one industry or in one category, um, we have to be paying attention because customers are expecting, like, I, I should have even more information than what uh, I have on my pizza yeah. because it's a much bigger, bigger deal and a bigger purchase. Yeah, I, uh, we, we have this other podcast called Business X Factors where we interview CEOs of you know, Global 2000. And that's actually one of the biggest things they say is that they're always looking outside their industry to try and find insights to figure out a problem that they currently have. And you know, it might be, I don't know, an airline company and they're gonna be looking into a very irrelevant, like the hotel industry to see how they maybe handle you know, customer experience in a different way. Have you ever kind of gone down that thought process to be like, let me look outside our industry. Like you just mentioned, I mean, the pizza example is great, but are there other industries that you kind of keep tabs on to see what they're doing and experimenting with? I don't know that our category has the most innovative uh, kind of best in class experiences on their websites. I'll just say that. Um, so we have to look to other websites and other industries uh, to make sure that we're trying to have a best in class customer experience. And there's pieces of the experience that um, are going to be consistent across every single category. And so in, in that way, you know, you have Walmart and you have Amazon really 
just setting expectations of this is what um, order tracking or this is what, um, you know, this piece of checkout just needs to be, you know, that that we have to just keep up and make sure that we're looking looking around and finding the absolute best example of that, no matter what industry it's in, and making that part of the experience. The the piece that um, we need to make sure that we keep customized to to our space and to our customers is really that discovery process. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, one that we really have the opportunity to differentiate the experience by talking to customers as, as much as possible on those pieces. So there's, there's pieces of the experience that we can kind of see there's, there's innovation happening and customers are just going to expect everybody to kind of fall in line there. And then, and then there's the discovery portion, which I think there's a lot of innovation that we can bring to just giving a better experience for helping customers decide what is the right piece of furniture for their space or what is the right thing for them to be bringing into their home. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. What kind of things have you implemented to be able to help them with that in a way that, you know, like you said earlier, doesn't actually create friction? Because sometimes too much help can be like, oh, I would have just ordered by now, but now, you know, someone's trying to like, make sure it's perfect. And maybe I'm okay with it not being perfect, but like, have you found a process that works well to help them, but also keep, keep customers kind of moving along in an efficient and good way? We found that the best innovation we make is when we spend a lot of time talking to customers specific to a category. So it's very different what a customer needs when they're trying to decide between um, a couple of different sofas and when they're deciding between um, two different coffee machines. So that is something that um, we we really make sure that we're locked in with the customer with the task that they're that they're in and really develop specific category specific content and guided selling that is rooted in what they're telling us is hard. So that that I think is something that um, has been differentiating for the experience that we give to customers online is that. You're, if you try to um, be kind of spread too thin in giving the same selling tips or the same uh, guided selling across all different product types, you're not going to be in line with what is top of mind for customers or what's hard for customers about that particular decision. So we spend a ton of time talking to customers about um, individual categories and researching what it is that they need for us to digitize or bring online and providing that at the right point in the journey. Oh, 
That's really smart. I mean, you think about so many companies right now, you go online and it's like the same chat box, no matter if I'm on a, you know, $5 thing or a $5,000 thing, it's like the same customer experience. I haven't heard of too many brands thinking, you know, by category and being like, if you're shopping for, you know, a $5,000 couch or whatever, you're going to have this type of flow when it comes to customer support and help. And if you're searching for a coffee maker, you'll maybe, you know, get this where you can click into it if you need the help. But that's a really cool way to yeah think about how to actually help the customer in a way that works for them and for the price points too. I think um, we, it's definitely, uh, it's difficult. <laughs> so oh, I'm sure. That's why we don't, we don't see it everywhere because mm-hmm. it's something that is not, um, you have to actually do the work of finding out what it is for that particular category and then develop a lot of content that is specific to that feedback that you just got. And so it's not something that um, is, you know, automated very easily. It's not something that, um, you know, you can kind of set it and forget it. It's something that we have to be consistent in getting the feedback from customers, creating the content, and then constantly pruning and editing that content to make sure that it's uh, consistent with what customers are looking for. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to hear a bit about, you know, the channels you're investing in. We've heard over the past, I would say this year, I've heard so much about brands investing in shoppable TV and, you know, brands, of course, always thinking about how do we get on TikTok and make that more efficient or everyone has a different strategy, but shoppable TV keeps coming up. And I want to hear, you know, what you all are doing at Crate and Barrel and how you're thinking about investing in media in the coming year or two. Yeah, we've seen dramatic shifts in how customers are finding uh, finding us and, and how what's the most relevant way for us to be where our customers are. So we definitely have seen a big shift to social uh, platforms. That's one of our fastest growing sources of, of customers is coming in through, through those areas. Shoppable TV is something that is right in our wheelhouse mm-hmm. because we have the expertise that customers are looking for. And for years, the stores have been the home of demonstrations or gift registry events or um, special um, series that we have influencers come into our stores. So we kind of already have this beautiful set of content and events that have have occurred and that will continue to invest in making those available to customers online. So I think that that's uh, something that we definitely um, are working towards is how do we take all of the expertise and the fun, engaging, inspirational events that occur in our stores and capture that energy and that content and deliver it to customers in a way, um, both live and as archived events, mm-hmm. that customers can take advantage of them and integrate them into the shopping experience kind of on demand. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Are there any pieces of technology maybe that Crate and Barrel is exploring or that you're personally curious about? I mean, you're talking about events and, you know, bringing what's happening offline, online, like, and of course, my first thought goes into, okay, how do you make that into an experience? Metaverse, like, you know, NFTs, like all the buzzwords start popping up. So is there anything that uh, you guys are thinking about or you're just personally curious about? I'm really curious about the NFTs and how that how that will evolve in our space. I think um, it's something that is so early that I, I think there's just a lot going on that you have to scratch your head about a little bit. Like where yeah. where's this one yeah. going? But yeah, you know. But I think there is um, there's certainly in the design world there's a lot uh, that it, that this could take advantage of and um, and that we'll start to see some really interesting things there. But 
um, it's a little, it's a little far out yeah. right now. And I think there's, um, there's so much work to be done for customers in improving just the basics of the experience, but using those technologies. Um, I, I like, like what we were talking about before. Yep. Yeah. It's easy to get distracted by the shiny objects, the new pieces of tech that are coming down. And I think it, there was a funny example the other day where someone sent me a picture of, oh, they bought an NFT, but then it also came with like a physical asset. And I was like, wait, doesn't that like defeat what an NFT is? Like, isn't it supposed to be digital? And like, do you ship that asset? I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. I think people maybe uh, are still in big experimentation mode and certain models maybe are kind of proving to work, but like there's still a lot of gray area of, you know, how to actually tap into this and use it in an effective way. That's not just throwing technology at something for no reason. Yeah. The NFTs, I think it's, um, it's less obvious kind of how that will apply to e-commerce. The metaverse too, I think there's, um, that one feels a little bit nearer in to me. It's, it's something that um, obviously being able to view items in your home um, in a more realistic way is, you know, it, we're kind of there already in some ways with some of the technologies, but it's just, is the metaverse and all the kind of things evolving there going to help customers to adopt that and expect it and, and push us to get there faster? I think, um, so that's really exciting that we might see greater demand from customers that, hey, I need to see this in my home. This is, you know, the expectation is that that's how things start to occur, um, yeah. that they have these interactions with our associates in their home, uh, but virtually uh, on a more compelling, consistent, regular basis. Yeah, yeah, agree. Okay, so what, Joan, are you most excited about over the next one to two years? It can be work, it can be personal, but what are you most excited about? We are, have a renewed focus on responsible commerce, and I think that is super exciting. I feel like that demand is coming from customers, that they're expecting it, and there's more interest and demand uh, to understand how the products that we're bringing to market, um, how are they made, are, you know, what is their impact, and what are our commitments as a company to making sure that we you know, leave the earth a better place uh, than we found it. And so that, to me, is one of the most exciting things going on with our brands is that we have a, a stronger focus on that than we ever have before and that customers are really driving that. So it's something that um, when you asked earlier about what kind of retains talent in this um, in this market, that's something that everyone on the team uh, can really rally around and understand how what they're doing is helping to kind of serve that larger purpose. And so that that's something that um, I, I'm super excited for. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Okay, let's move move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Joan? Yep. Okay, what's up next on your reading list? Um, we just got a puppy. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I don't have the name of that. There's a book on my nightstand that my sister gave me um, about training your dog. I think it's a good dog. Okay. Good dog. Um, training mm -hmm. manual. So that is um, desperately needs to be read oh gosh, yes. and uh, adhered to by my entire family. Oh, what kind of puppy? He is a half lab, half uh, mountain dog, Bernie's mountain oh, dog. I bet that's cute. He's adorable. And his name is Tank. Oh, okay. I need to eventually see a picture of Tank because that sounds like a really cute mix. <laughs> I, I have many, many pictures of Tank. I'll send you. Yeah, please do. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? Because I heard you like podcasts. I think you mentioned that somewhere. 
If I had a podcast, I, uh, I would interview Scott Galloway because I am slightly obsessed with his podcast. I listen to it religiously and I find that I'm, I learn a lot from that podcast and I enjoy it and laugh out loud. So I would, um, I would want to reverse the tables there and, um, put him in the hot seat. Mm, I love that. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? The nicest thing that people have done for me in my career is take chances on me. I think I, um, I tend to be pretty quiet and understated and, but, uh, but can really get things done. And I think that my personality has been one that requires a little bit of, you know, trust and, uh, you know, trust and take a leap of faith. And so, um, that's happened at several points in my career where people, um, have taken a chance and say like, Oh, uh, it seems like, like you should be able to, to make this work. And, and that has, uh, I'm eternally grateful for that. I love that. That is an epic place to end. Joan, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Where can people learn more about you and Crate and Barrel, which everyone probably already knows Crate and Barrel, but where can people learn about you? Just on, I'm on the normal channels, LinkedIn. Uh, that, that's probably the best place to learn about me. Perfect. Thanks, Joan. Thanks, Stephanie. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.